2: You're listening to The podcast, the nature and countryside podcast from BBC Country Farm magazine. My name is Fergus Collins. I'm your host. This season, season 15, is all about the joy of walking and exploring audibly beautiful landscapes and how this helps our mental and physical health. It's all about how being outdoors in nature gives us a deeper sense of contentment and inner peace. So in episode four, come with me to a haven I discovered on the north coast of Innismon, the island of Anglesey, off the northwestern coast of Wales. It was completely new to me and I had a magical experience and I hope you'll enjoy it too. That was interesting. I just uh, just arrived. It was an amazing place and there was a bird call I didn't recognise until I got my binoculars onto the birds and it was a high-pitched, like a curly, but much faster paced and turns out to be a little flock of wimbrels which are, I don't think they breed in britain but they pass through a lot at this time of year it's late August autumn in the bird world, in the minds of birds it's autumn but um, it's definitely uh, got an autumnal feel, it's early morning and I've arrived it's an eerie, strange place. There's a sandpiper just going by. I'm actually beside some enormous brick walls which uh, hide a house called Bryn Abba. So it's, weird, it's, it's actually a walled garden of a man. Hello. A walled garden built by a man called Captain Vivian Hewitt who lived from 1888 to 1965 Um, who was really loved this area I'm right on the northern tip of Anglesey, a place called Kemlin and uh, this Captain Vivian Hewitt was an engineer and aviator one of these pioneering pilots uh, apparently he was the first to cross the Irish Sea in a plane Uh, At the age of 24, so I think it was sometime around 1912. Anyway, he he bought some 300 plus acres of land here and turned it into a nature reserve. So, what it is is well, there's some ruins of farms and bits and bobs, but uh, he's created these lagoons right by the coast. So, there's a couple of little lovely little bays, and then behind it, these lagoons which are very, very good for wildlife. It says things like sort of. He's built these. Enormous walls to protect the, to protect his walled garden and his house from the sea. Uh, sort of. I mean, they're very. I think they're quite ugly walls, to be honest. They're massive. They're probably, you know, at their height, they're three times my height. I'm, I'm almost six foot, so eighteen to twenty foot high. Probably more than that in parts, actually. And they're quite austere. So you've got sort of concrete then uh, sort of terracotta bricks what's behind I can't see but apparently encloses a couple of acres of land so um, I'm gonna have a little wander around and see what's what with a couple of rock doves going over which is the the wild relatives of the sort of town pigeon and the kind of pigeon that pigeon fanciers use Uh, they obviously live here quite happily the big bird has just taken off. Uh, just a big gull. Probably a young herring gull. Beside so this big lagoon. And there's a kind of huge causeway that cuts off the lagoons from the sea. So I'm going to walk on the causeway and I'm going to head out into one of these bays. There's a ruin of a farm here sort of cries of seabirds and shorebirds, oyster catchers in the distance. Really great to see the wimbrels though. Hopefully they'll come back over again. So I'm just... linnet's going over. There's an egret has just flown up. There's two egrets now sitting on part of the walled garden. I imagine they enjoy hunting in these lagoons. We'll see. So, little egrets, pure snowy white. Um, there's lots of danger keep out signs for these ruined buildings. I, I guess they must have been farms right on the coast. Fantastic positions now. Entering to a great bank of shingle and there's a channel from the lagoons that runs through here to the sea, the Bay, Kemlin Bay which is just to the north of me. You can hear the waves lapping on the shore oyster catcher on the shingle there. Just have a little scan out to sea. Now this whole area is dominated by um, a power station on the other side of the bay like a whole load of big Lego blocks have been plonked down. It's lots of squares and rectangles here I am, on the shingle. Lots of sea cabbage here, and a peeping of sandpipers. And I'm just going to walk slowly over the shingle. And far back, so on one side I've got the bay, Kemlin Bay and on the other side some lagoons and then the walled garden sort of almost, not quite, feels like it's on an island and there's shorebirds Ah, a red shank just came over the uh, sort of sea wall here, this bank of shingle that separates these lagoons, Now, I think Captain Hewitt created this sea wall so they could have these lagoons for his passion for nature and bird watching could be satisfied captive. And I'm a bit late in the year, I think this is famous for a tern colony, Sandwich terns, which are very handsome, large members of the tern family they like gulls, they're sort of elegant thin-winged gulls and uh, they nest here on the islands within the lagoon these are sort of quite clearly man-made islands but vegetated now I think they've all gone sadly I don't think we've had a sandwich turn on the podcast but Um, There's some lovely wildflowers on the top of this bank here. Um, Thrift for sure, a sort of chamomile looking plant, Um, those big kind of big central yellow centre with white, large white petals. There are bladder campion, bladderwort, white campion and Lots of small yellow flowers. There's ragwort here. Famously controversial. No one else around. Uh, lots of egrets. So the water is obviously very shallow. There are lots of egrets flying their trade in the shallows. They'll be hunting all those little fish and eels and all sorts of things that Rimped, who knows what lives in here, oh there's a curlew hunting in the shallow water <whistles> big birds curlews, huge birds and uh, there's a heron further out in the water piping of oyster catchers, loads of them. for no turns, sadly. They've all obviously reared their chicks and gone. There must be a good ten egrets, though. It's just, it's a kind of eerie place, so with a nuclear power station on the outer rim of the bay, this big sh- Shingly beaches. A lot of the beaches in this part of Anglesey are um, sandy, very sandy. So it's quite unusual to um, quite unusual to get this sort of huge expanse of shingle. I wonder what sort of forces are at work here. Uh, Yeah there's several curlies out using their long bills in the shallow water. The sun is trying to come out, but it's one of those a wader of some description. His wings flicking low on the water. Yeah, so it's not gonna rain, it's just a heavy cloud. But the sun is very much forecasted to come out and give us a lovely day right at the end of my two weeks in Anglesey. so I've not done a lot of recording, I've just had some time to enjoy some quiet but there's a red shank two egrets That's two red shanks together, and they're just getting annoyed with each other, for some reason. It's a big lagoon, plenty of space to share. Oh, very pleased. There's meadow pipits out on the island. Ubiquitous meadow pipits. And here's just the lulling sound of the sea. Well, the sun is just beginning to stream out from under the clouds and um, light up this lagoon. And quite interesting, as one of the curlies is swimming, which I've never seen before. I thought they just waded. They look quite serene with the long beaks held out in front. I'm not swimming for long. Just, uh, just till he gets to shallower water again but yeah, who knew, I could see 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 little egrets. so and two grey herons it's a very exciting for to I can see the house inside the walls from there. It is like a, it's got like a mini heath inside. It's an extraordinary place because you've got your own little kingdom. I think it's now rented out as a holiday land. Like so much. Oh, one of the, one of the little egrets has just caught something. I'm very excited. I once uh, saw a little bit capture a huge flatfish, and it took it extremely long time to swallow it. It was way too. I thought it would never get it down. It must have been working at it for half an hour, and uh, it wasn't going to give up. Having sort of successfully fished, and caught this monster. Anyway, it sort of gulped it down finally, and uh, my goodness it was a, an epic, epic feeding. And i just stopped there. There's something leapt out of the water at sea. The nice caught my eye. This is like a plume of water. Like a fish leaping out. I'll keep my eye on that area. Yeah, so the, the, the good leader. Finally, you could see you can see it sort of oh hold on, now there's something in the water here. That's weird, it's fish. swirling around inside the lagoon and a heron flies low over the water looking through all the world like an eagle with massive wingspan looking dark and brown probably a young heron there's grey wings so I imagine there's grey mallet inside this lagoon and they must at high tide they must swim up the channel get into this lagoon for feeding, but then they become obviously the target for these fish eating birds. Oh it's a beautiful spot. See the fish again in the water here. It's grey mullet. The shoulder of them. looking quite considerable ripples, bow waves. Probably too big for the uh, the egrets to tackle. Yeah, I think they're quite big, a couple of a foot long. Yeah it's a beautifully calming place now. A couple of gulls going over the sea lapping at these seaweed strewn rocks. And, uh, this empty strand of shingle. Nobody around. But the lagoon is obviously where all the action is. There's almost no birds at sea here or on the shore. Pickings are too good in the lagoon, so I imagine actually the fish swim into the lagoon and breed in there. And find feeding or whatever it is. And uh sort of brackish water that encourages lots of more interesting creatures. And then um, it's a safe place for the fish fry to just hang out and um, grow in relative security unless you count the 20 little egrets that are picking them off It'd be great, to a great place to stay actually with uh, a kind of wilderness on your doorstep there is a car park here for visitors but I don't think that many people come here back at the entrance of the lagoon where the seawater can get in when at high tide. It's currently low tide so there's just a few pools here. But at high tide it will fill this channel up linking the bay to the lagoons and uh, allowing a fresh sort of intermixing of sea life and shore life. I'm going to take a look down, there's a little bay that I want to explore, just around the corner. A Huge field of cows and their calves. So Kimlin, large parts of this area are owned by the National Trust always a jolly good thing and, uh, I'm just walking into the sun to see a bay it's, uh, the rain itself below me and, uh, this is a lovely curved bay this is Kemeny Bay it's sort of divided into two really I suppose by the uh, causeway two beaches not a soul here over here the water just... this is a, I'm on the Welsh coast path here so there's a couple little rocky headlands no trees here this is quite exposed the today there's no wind which is lovely Bird, I just don't recognise up ahead. It's a young bird. Uh, probably a dummick, but. Well, I don't know. I think a stone chat actually. Stone chat. Yeah, there's two of them. Two young stone chats. Yeah, it's the way they hold themselves, the way they perch. Two of them good luck chaps. yeah, they've got a little wing bar so this is a kind of dream to be out on a wild place, in a wild place like this the whole day of holiday right at the end of my holiday alas, but one more night just a few gulls out on the and a heron and an egret oh there are birds out on the headland probably there's rock pools and things to there's the noise of the sea up ahead just a, a rushing so I might head over and see what the view is like over there there's a little head headland here which is very um, enticing from a sort of I'll just go fishing. It looks like the ideal place to be cast. And I have tried again. Every year I come to North Wales or wherever, somewhere wild, and try my hand at sea fishing. And this year has been pretty much the most disastrous of all. And uh, my very first cast, using a lure, got tangled in some seaweed. So I had to wait till low tide to recover it. I didn't want to break the line and leave it behind. And by that time I'd sort of lost the will to to catch anything. I dream of one day of landing a fish for my supper. I think the trick is to find someone who's better at it and learn from them. Or go out on a boat with the professionals and be sort of guaranteed a... Guaranteed to catch some mackerel or something. It's been a a sad and tortuous. So I always arrive with, oh, I must visit the tackle shop. Go and talk to them. Say, where's the best place to fish, and what sort of tackle should I use? And they're always extremely kind, and uh, it leads to the same outcome. Ah, this is interesting. This is just a rocky. Very rocky coast here. You can hear the waves battering on the. It's really beautiful. I can see a long way down the coast, out to Carmel Head, which is the kind of northwest corner of Anglesey. Oh, there is a. Eh? I think that's a Wimberall. Out on the rocks, just flown by. There definitely were wimbrels here earlier. Uh, there are egrets out here. Dark rocks, really dark, kind of, almost black. And then with their coating of greeny brown seaweeds. Worst catches as ever. Uh, To believe, but I think there might be some seals out there. No, probably not. <laughs> it's got a feeling of seals. Uh, quite a long way away. They don't like boys, they are like birds. Ah now I have to get nearer them. Than... I think there are some seals. So I might take a little walk along this shoreline. See if I can get a bit closer. It's lovely sea beat here. Oh beautiful. Some of the best looking I've seen, I'm not gonna pick it today, normally I would Fill a bag full of sea bees and take it home. But it's the last day of the holiday, and missed our chance. Going out for supper tonight, so I'm not gonna. Oh, they're lovely. Yeah, those are seals. Because one has now disappeared. No, there's three. What are they? Get a better look a bit further up. Really difficult, it's just so far out. Now there are seals out on a little rocky island, I can see. Yeah, there are seals hauled out. Definitely one, anyway. Yeah, it's a Rocky Island, sort of half a mile out, and I can see a seal hauled out onto it. But I'm wondering if there's, there's a channel up ahead that looks like it's got three seals just bobbing around in it. Yes, <clears throat> they're just rocks. Yeah, really yeah. interesting, we need to get closer. Let's just try got to find out what those are. Now oh, they are seals. Just staying really, really still. Some interesting water birds here. I can see them opening their mouths. It's just sort of hanging out in a channel. So much interesting wildlife here. Shell ducks have just arrived. One, two. Yeah, they've just got their heads pointing out these seals. There's more of them. One, two, three. Six seals. You can see their whiskers. Very really strange. Try and approach quite stealthily. They're quite close to the shore, and now at the bottom of some very soft-looking cliffs working on large gauge bouldery things. I think I might have a better view of them if I go back and follow follow the, um, follow the, uh, coast path on the top of the cliffs. I don't want to disturb them. I think that's a better, better call. beet has really gone over here. So it's all flowers in pockets. It's just fantastic. Uh, just, it's fantastically rich and ready to be here to be eaten and the sun on these rocks is lovely Just delicious I'm back on the coast path now It just runs above that wild beach that I was on there So the seals there's a little sign, a little kind of bench with a sign and some flowers. It says, you bloody pillock, R.I.P. John Owen. So it's of rough affection. As I walk up this path, green fields, lovely views across the centre of Anglesey. Well, this corner of Anglesey, and uh, to a hill, manath e hill or mountain of the, of the Cairn, it's the only large sort of feature, otherwise it's just soft crags and little farms and tidal villages. Anyway, the only fishing success I've had this entire, oh, there's just a, a gang of birds up here. I think a linnet. Uh, the only success I've had is um shrimping. I invested in a really good shrimping net and worked out the rock pools are absolutely magnificent here. No, mm. stone chats, family of stone chats. May even be the same ones I saw just now. The adult is here this time. And, uh, yeah, some fantastic rock pooling here. Some of the best I've ever seen. I mean, rock pools so big you can wade around in them. Great shoals of fish, caught all sorts of things. But the shrimps, you catch really big ones. And it was only the really, really big ones that I was after. And um, if you net underneath the big boulders that are in the centre of rock pools, you... um that's where they lie it's quite satisfying to catch a really really big one. So I took a bucket load back home after about half an hour Curly just calling a meadow pipit and uh, yeah, cooked them up, fry them in butter so a flock of birds going through Canada geese I think No, shell ducks big flock of shell ducks just crossing the land towards the shore. Yeah, um, cook them up really quickly and then fry them in garlic butter. Absolutely delicious. Now they do, they are a bit fiddly, but I could peel, I could probably peel two or three a minute. So you've got 30, it's a 10 to 15 minute job, but really worth it. Not going to fill you up, but absolutely delicious. The sun is really hot on me now. It was cold earlier, but I'm getting to where the seals are, and I've got a really perfect vantage point. Now, let's have a look. Yes, there's seals there's like a big swampy kelp forest here part of a bay and I can see they're all just sticking their heads up they're just sort of as if they have just resting in the water heads up not doing anything yeah just I'm looking at them they're mottled little grey heads like rocks really little grey heads pointing up mottled Very handsome. There's some mallards near them. Definitely four. There were more earlier. They're quite close in. One lying asleep on the island. They're just lying as if sleeping. I think they are just sleeping. Sleeping in the waves. The water is so clear. Well, that's a good, what a wonderful place to finish. I'm going to head back for breakfast. So that was me back in my summer holiday, how committed I am to the podcast that on my summer holidays I've been recording some of my adventures, but I couldn't help but share that. And I can say for certain that they were grey seals that I saw off the coast there. And I can only reiterate, if you're on Anglesey, that is the first place to start. It's so lovely. Um, Talking of lovely, (laughs) I'm in the studio (laughs) with my lovely podcast team of Hannah and Jack who helped me make the podcast.
0: Hello. Hello.
2: I was lucky enough to do lots of exploring of Anglesey over that a two-week period. It's a very interesting place. I don't know if you two, have you two been to Anglesey? I haven't, no. No, no, no. gosh. Well, well, it's beautiful and, and I really enjoyed walking around the coast. I did a lot of coastal walks. It is sort of, an, it's an interesting place because I watched a lovely series that Yolo Williams Made he's a TV naturalist and a great man, and he made a lovely series about the wildlife of Anglesey, and he went into some interior sites that I've um, I would love to get to next time. But I wonder if he'd agree that quite a lot of the interior of Anglesey is quite difficult to get around. The footpath system isn't very great, isn't very good. Um, quite a lot of the paths are missing or blocked so you re- I felt a little bit confined to the coast so whenever I wanted to go and do a big circular walk I quite often found my, my way blocked or there was no way of getting around I'd have to retrace my steps so a wonder a wonderful place but also just a little bit of that kind of frustration that it, it's like all the all the eggs are in one coastal basket. <laughs> well, access—I mean, access—it's—it's always an issue that we've talked about, and probably a good opportunity to talk about a really huge access issue that's cropped up over the last few months and come to a head very recently. I'm talking about Dartmoor. Do you know the Do you know the tale? Yes, no. it's so, very sad tale. For those who don't know the story, Dartmoor is one of the few places in England uh, where. Visitors were allowed to wild camp, which essentially that means you don't have to ask the permission of the landowner or the commoners who own, who have rights to the land, using the land, that you can just go and camp with with responsibility. So clean up after yourself, make as little noise and disruption as possible, don't bother the livestock, that sort of thing, It's it's responsible camping. So that was up until a landowner, relatively recent purchase of land on Dartmoor. Uh, challenged this right in the high court and despite lots of hard-fought action on the part of access campaigners campers and the national park authority uh, won so in essence what has happened is is one person's will has taken one person's exerted their rights and taken away the rights of many other people so this has caused a huge furore yeah it's it's a big issue because it reflects on so many other things. I think during the pandemic I, did you feel i certainly got a sense that people felt very confined and very uh, there was a desperate need to get out into the countryside, and there was some bad behaviour
0: yeah, and i think but I think that that is a a symptom of people not having been able to to have as much access as they perhaps wanted. So needed. yeah so I think that it's people who didn't or don't know what the rules are experiencing these places for the first time um and I think we are quite lucky in that we we understand what the rules are because we care about the rules but there are an awful lot of people who don't know things like the countryside code and we've talked about this before that the government spent like what is that, 10,000 pounds on promoting the countryside code in the schools and It. That's not not enough. Yeah. That that's the the physical manifestation of this failure, because
2: sort of lack of there's a there's a sort of systemic lack of contact with nature in the countryside.
1: I think it's it's, it's quite a tricky thing because I could understand from the person that owns the land why they would want to do that, and I think it is probably one of those cases that there could be hundreds of people that, for example, wild camp and you wouldn't even know they've been there, and that's the point. And then there's just one that has left rubbish that's yeah. caused some damage or whatever. But that's the one that's going to trip the whole the whole debate, whether you're for or against it. But then in the same respect, I, even though it may be just a small group of people that have caused that sort of problem or that bad reputation, I don't think necessarily they did that on purpose. It's not like they've...
0: No, of course. Definitely the, not. The
1: rules thing, yeah. they may They may not know the rules, but... Again, it's it, there's likely that those people that haven't got that easy access to the countryside, as soon as they've got it, it is they, they haven't experienced it before necessarily and that, that may be what's led to them not following the rules and not treating it the way they're supposed to treat it. Um, And so it's that thing, yeah, why lock everyone else out?
2: Yeah, it's punishing. It's like a school punishment. Punish Mm. everybody. And there was this massive
0: sort of dignification of the countryside during lockdown, that it was like this thing that we suddenly all had access to. And wasn't it brilliant? It was like this tourist attraction. And so people did treat it like a tourist attraction.
2: But again, it's part of the learning process. And lots of, you know, I encountered loads of people locally in the Brecon Beacons who'd or, you know, out on walks who clearly come from further afield and it was their first time out there and um, the vast majority of extremely well behaved but there was a huge surge of littering and it's sort of gone back to normal now it's mm. completely gone back to normal and uh, if not even fewer people in the countryside when I go walking and so this issue is going to rumble on because there's there was a big protest this week that um, we're in third week of January at the moment, a big protest this week from the right to roam uh, sort of activists and, and other lovers of the countryside who've been out, who've all gathered together, I think about 3,000 was the report. And a couple of members of the Countryfile magazine team went along to do some recording and to interview some of the people there. So hopefully we'll have a podcast later in this series quite soon where we will hear from some of those voices and build up more of a picture about it. But uh, the problems are that we channel... N- we've got a, a fantastic footpath network in Britain, but we don't have much land that's open access in England. Scotland, very different. You can roam anywhere you like, pretty much in Scotland. Um, whereas in England, I think only 8% of the land, according to the to the open access campaigners, is only 8% of the land is actual right to roam free to roam land so it's not very much land at all and i think sort of like the genies out of the out of the um, lamp or the cat out of the bag something's out of a (laughs) something but something's that with the appreciation of freedom and out the outdoors walking the need for it and recognition that it's good for our mental health it's quite difficult. I think it's harder to, to box people back in again.
1: Yeah, it's that thing of telling people to get out to the countryside for yeah. your mental health, but then get to the countryside and then going no entry. Not, not here. <laughs> not here. Or or here. Back home. <laughs> yeah, or here.
2: Because
0: I think we, we have the right to be there, but we don't have the right to spoil it, I think, is the most important thing. Yeah, so I,
2: and I think that's one it's of
0: the... Not, it's sort of there for us, but it's not just for us.
2: Mm. It's one of the basic tenets of, of going anywhere is that you don't, you leave it as you found it or enhance it. Um I mean, I always take a bag with me on walks and I come back with it full of rubbish. And it's not my land, but it's the land I love. Because I think f- what we've got a try to drill down to is that it's important to for us to get out. It's important for mm-hmm. us. Uh, uh, one of the reasons for the podcast, and particularly this series, is to, to, is to get out and walk and feel... That connection to well, that's nature. the
0: thing, isn't it? It's the connection, and you need to have access to the thing in order to be connected to it, in order to respect mm. it. So it all starts with access, really.
1: Mm. Do you think there's going to be this, we're sort of in one of those situations where we, we've highlighted that there is a there is a, a slight problem here that some people don't know the rules, it's not taught, mm. and stuff like that. And but in the last couple of years, you started to see like forest schools and stuff becoming a thing. So I, I don't know if they've got them everywhere else in, in the world, but I know here in the UK there's some primary schools that will have a session with, with the classes outside to play in the mud but learn about nature. And
2: well, We've just done a, a piece on beach schools in Northumberland. Right. And they take the local schools down to the beach and they have <laughs> lessons in all weathers. Mm. And it's apparently brilliant for the kids yeah. kind of... It helps them. It helps them so much. They're able to learn better by being outdoors, by having their perspectives raised and sort of smelling the sea and hearing the sound, hearing the birds and just the sensory stimulation that they're getting there apparently works wonders, particularly for those with attention deficiencies. They really learn much better. So,
1: I guess hopefully, then give it a couple of years and you suddenly have this new generation of people that should. Maybe hopefully have a wider understanding of all that and be a bit more. It's the same with climate change; they they they're seeing it. They know that it's probably going to affect their future more mm. than most at the moment. Um, so hopefully, as the, they the start hope. to grow, yeah,
2: that's...
0: there's lots of reasons to be optimistic.
1: Yeah, a lot of pressure on them. So.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sort out. <laughs> we believe in so your our kids. generations have <laughs> made. Yes, but fun, yeah, absolutely, May mate.
1: It'd be interesting if there's any little podcast listeners out there. If there's any.
2: Yeah, send us send us some thoughts, young listeners yeah, yeah. that
1: enjoy the podcast or tune in every now and again that are, understand nature really are excited about it. It'd be good to hear from
2: from. Yeah, them. and maybe send us a little recording of something. How do we connect people? How do we get people to to really love and look after the countryside, and reassure those who who you know farmers and landowners and others who invest in the countryside that actually mm-hmm. it's a it's. Better to embrace all of this, all these people, and then together yeah, create because a community. Ultimately,
0: it is admirable that they want to protect it. Yeah. It's just, we should all be able to protect it together.
2: there anyway, be lots more to come on the access issue and the Dartmoor story, and hopefully, some comment from all parties involved so we can build a, a sort of better picture and, and hopefully fill people. Because you know, we've got listeners all over the world and may not be aware of this particular issue in the UK at the moment. Talking of our listeners around the world, we have a lovely tweet here, which I'd like to share with you from regular listener Nicola Pitchford. And Nicola had listened to episode 180, where I was off with Mariana Hooter along the Ridgeway and, the Ave, and around Avebury. And it had a sort of special resonance for her. And she said how much she loved this episode. She says, timely as I mourn my mum. She lived in Wiltshire for many years. We had a Ridgeway walking holiday together in these very spots when she was in her 70s. She says, I would happily walk the Ridgeway with Marianne Hota as my guide. Now, I'm very lucky that I had Marianne as my guide and it was just brilliant. Thank you, Nicola. And you've also tweeted some pictures of your mum looking just so happy walking along the Ridgeway. So I just thought it was just a lovely thing to, to share with us and I hope... I'm glad that the episode brought back some good memories. And if you've enjoyed the podcast and like to get in touch, you can email me, editor at countryfile.com. Love to hear your thoughts and feedback on the episodes and anything we could perhaps explore in the future. And we also like to hear any recordings from the countryside, so please do send those too. We love a little sound, a little sound postcard from the beach or a bird singing or just a tractor on a distant hill. Again, the same email address, editor at countryfell.com. But from me and Hannah and Jack, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and goodbye.